Howdy, you're listening to the Think Brasses podcast. We host conversations with locals, politicians, and policy experts to help families thrive in Brasses County, Texas. So when you're thinking about how to make your community better, just remember, think local, think Brasses. So we're joined by John Nichols, uh, professor, doctor. Either John one. Nichols. All right, fine. just John Nichols, mm-hmm. who is running for the college station. Uh, almost said city council, but he is a councilman running for mm-hmm. mayor. Thank you so much for coming on Think Brazos. Appreciate being here. Thank you. Yeah. So first of all, usually like to take a few minutes just to explain to our audience who you are, your background a little bit, and uh, especially why you're running for mayor. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share some ideas and thoughts. Uh, my family and I have been in this community for a number of decades. I came here to uh, work at Texas A&M University and uh, uh, never left. Uh, I moved through the professorial ranks uh, in a normal way and mm-hmm. very engaged in uh, in the research leadership in the Department of Agricultural Economics across the whole ag uh, programs mm-hmm. representing economics. I wound up uh, as department head and retired uh, from oh, wow. the department as uh, department head, having served seven or eight years in that role. And um, my entire life, my family's entire life here, we've been engaged in the community. I okay. have always uh, sought community service uh, uh, civic service through the Lions Club, where you join an organization that does can do a lot more than you can do by yourself. And sure. From that, um, I got involved in the organization of the, the youth soccer program in College Station oh, nice. uh, okay. back in the 70s. Um, so you were a coach or something? Well, I, I didn't know how to play soccer, so oh. I, I, I was absolutely not eligible to be a coach. So <laughs> I volunteered to line the fields and put the nets oh, okay. up, and then ultimately you get involved in the committee work and sure. became uh, president of the organization okay. in the 70s. And Got it. A, a group of us that uh, had kids growing up in that day right. and age, and soccer was the thing. Mm-hmm. And so we would find a few parents that knew a little bit about it. They could coach and right. the rest of us uh, got involved in administration and fundraising and support. Got it. So that was a, a, an interesting time. And, and obviously soccer has become kind of one of the core youth sports in the community. Right. I'm really proud that I had a chance to work with that when my kids were of that age. That's awesome. Um, got involved in uh, the arts community. I was uh, or going to help organize the Brazos uh, Valley Symphony oh. in the early 80s. Uh, it was a combination of a couple of smaller organizations. And once again, I don't play an instrument, but <laughs> a symphony doesn't exist without without an audience. Right. Uh, a symphony's got to have an audience. So I got involved in the the business side and uh, uh, chaired committees and served in cool. a couple offices. And I was president of the Symphony Society for for a period there in the, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And from that, uh, got involved in the Arts Council because the symphony was oh, part yeah. of the Arts Council. So I went through the the board roles in the uh, Brass Valley uh, Arts Council. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was uh, an interesting and fun time uh, back when we had the little blue building on University Drive that was okay. recently ter- torn down. And now going to be a Dutch Bros coffee shop really? where the old Arts Council was back <laughs> in my day. Um, 
got involved in uh, city activities in the 90s, uh, volunteer work, mm -hmm. and then uh, was appointed to the Parks Board and served six years on that, uh, three years as chair. And from the Parks Board, uh, I really enjoyed that mm -hmm. uh, role of the city. I moved into, I was appointed to the Planning and Zoning Commission, which sure. gets you into a lot heavier right. kinds of responsibilities. I was chairman of that for four years, oh. uh, which took me up to 2010. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually was not retired from Texas A&M at that time, and uh, I did try to run for an unfilled term, and I lost that election by 75 votes. I learned wow. a lot. I learned a lot about the issue, how you organize a campaign mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Uh, 2012, I was elected and re-elected in 2015 to the city council. Uh, after a year off in uh, 2016, 20, from 2017, I ran for another seat and. Okay. Uh, uh, in 2020, I was uh, re-elected to that seat in mm -hmm. a competitive race. Um, you ran for mayor at some point. I ran for mayor in 2016, 2016 and lost yeah. by 400 votes okay. in that campaign. And that, so I had to resign from my seat, of course. And I was, mm. uh, okay. I was off for a year. So I got involved. That's when I got involved okay. in Chamber of Commerce activities. I joined the Chamber of Commerce when I retired because I wanted to get engaged in sure. the local community in a different way beyond the nonprofit. Mm -hmm side and giving me a lot of opportunity to understand the business uh, propositions mm -hmm. of a lot of our chamber members. I have chaired the transportation committee for the chamber uh, under the leadership of legislative affairs for the last five years and recently uh, turned that over to another person Got it. Uh, organizing uh, monthly meetings and I have uh, learned a lot about the transportation, traffic, congestion, construction, funding, yeah. issues related to transportation in our community by having organized, uh, I think, 45 monthly meetings over a five-year period for Allie. the Chamber of Commerce. So that that was a fun time, and, and I continue to be interested in transportation mm -hmm. as one mm -hmm. of my uh, core issues uh, in the community. What would be, um, if you could point out one main priority goal that you want to mm -hmm. accomplish if you're elected mayor here in a month and a half or whatever it is, yeah. what would that be? Well, let me let, let me lay a predicate to that. Sure. I think the mayor's role is critical uh, as the leader of the council. So my priority is to uh, work with the council to manage our council processes, okay. uh, uh, making sure all the members of the council are well informed, have mm -hmm. all the information they need have access to all of the information from the various departments uh, in the in the, uh, the city and that our uh, meetings are efficient and uh, that we uh, stay on task. Mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, leadership experience in academic life. Right. Uh, when I was department head, I had 60 faculty members, a big department, 60 faculty members that were direct reports to me. And then... To the extent that any faculty member reports to anybody, sure, uh, it, it was a, a, a good training ground, I think, for pulling people together who have disparate views of uh, mm -hmm. their professional roles and the responsibilities of the department to seek consensus. So I think the mayor's main role, different from a council member, is bringing people together, making sure they're well-informed having a, a good, efficient meetings that the public is well-informed and engaged, and that we 
try not to uh, reinvent the wheel every sure. time we have a public meeting. We we move on with mm-hmm. with the items on the agenda. So, beyond, no, beyond so that, no seven eight pardon? no seven or eight hour meetings. Is well, what I think well, I you're cannot, hoping no for. No I'll never I'll never <laughs> shut anybody down. Right. Unless right. they're off task. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes uh, council members, uh, me included, we tend to uh, bring in some tangential discussions sure. during a, when we're supposed to be focusing on mm-hmm. on one issue and. And I want to make sure that um, that our debate is after a motion is on the floor, right? Rather than when we're asking questions of an applicant or staff, getting right. into the value judgments. Mm-hmm. That period of time is supposed to be for information gathering right. and finding out what the applicant or city staff has to present mm-hmm. and getting the detail, and then work into uh, the debate right. when the time for debate comes and. and uh, I won't guarantee we don't have any long meetings, but uh, right. I'll try to keep them moving forward. So with that as a predicate, mm-hmm. um, clearly uh, uh, finance, uh, city's finances and budget is a priority of mine. I've served on the council budget and finance committee for a number of years. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm intimately involved with uh, how the budget's put together okay. and uh, uh, where it's just where the initial priorities are set and the city's uh, vision is, is put into action. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, keeping uh, uh, engaged in the financial side of the city will be a number one priority. We've got some significant challenges coming up, building uh, a new fire station that will be uh, require uh, a substantial increase in the operation and maintenance side to yeah. fulfill that. We've got uh, a three and a half cent percent, three and a half percent revenue cap on our O&M revenue coming mm-hmm. in with inflation running. Right. Six to eight percent, maybe it'll drop back to four to five percent, but it, I don't see it being three or two any time yeah. in the next two or three, four years. So we're looking at probably two or three years out where we're really going to be uh, 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 very much of a, a crossroads, so to speak. I think mm-hmm. now, right now, we're in pretty good financial shape because we've got good reserves, right. so that's one area that I'm really uh, engaged in and plan to be involved in, uh, as I said. Uh, Transportation, traffic, infrastructure, road infrastructure mm-hmm. is another area that I'm pretty well informed on. Using the city's resources to leverage resources from the county, from the uh, the new RMA, and from TxDOT and federal sources mm-hmm. to build out uh, our infrastructure needs around here is going to be a, a priority of mine. I have worked uh, in another area, the... Uh, 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 stability of neighborhoods, uh, and, okay. and this gets in some into housing, mm-hmm. uh, that I think we could do more to incentivize some of the re- rehabilitation of some of the rental properties that are scattered sure. around the community. And and I've been a supporter of neighborhood integrity, and, and uh, I was a supporter of the residential occupancy mm-hmm. overlay, mm-hmm. Uh, but I was also... Uh, very much uh, in, uh, uh, a supporter, and I negotiated from my side to make sure we had grandfathered mm-hmm. those rental properties that already existed in the neighborhoods that were registered as rental units. Right. I felt like the investment in those needed to be protected, and I think that you know we need to you need to provide housing for people that, sure. um, and some of its uh, rental properties are in neighborhoods, and and I don't see just wiping that out. That's just not where yeah. I go. So I think uh, again, that's another role that I played in in negotiating and 
seeking consensus on that very difficult issue. So gotcha. I think uh, those neighborhoods that want to adopt that enabling legislation mm-hmm. have that option. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a process set up for it. As a matter of fact, we will soon be considering the first uh, request under that. For oh, wow. Neighborhood on North uh, in uh, Emerald Forest, just okay. off the North Forest Drive. Got it. It's a pretty small area, but they've followed the rules and we will okay. see how it comes forward. Uh, okay. Yeah, you actually mentioned at one of, not to get too into the weeds, but at one of the most recent council meetings, when discussing the Rue and some small changes that maybe would be made to mm-hmm. it, um, you said something to the effect of um, that there's like a a loophole of sorts, maybe, where someone could rent out a room, um, but not the whole thing. And I was curious well, I about, about that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was concerned about that somebody mm. uh, one of the audience members brought it up as a as a big loophole mm-hmm. but i i came back to that issue because i i was really concerned about it i didn't really think it existed as i understand it the the, the discussion was around whether or not you have a uh, homestead exemption on the property you're a oh, homeowner right. with a homestead exemption and basically if you have that you cannot be a registered rental property mm-hmm. right and so, therefore, that loophole really doesn't exist that the individual was asking for, where okay. somebody who has a home, home, home homestead exemption and they live in there, then they turn it into rental while they're living there. You can't do that. So, also regarding the Rue, one of the things I've been curious about following it is um, I totally get where the neighborhoods are coming from. Mm-hmm. And I like that they actually uh, have a tool to consider Mm -hmm. doing something about it. What I have wondered about is where are all the other people that would have lived in X neighborhood? Where are they going to go instead? And and I don't um, I don't feel like I'm 100 percent gotten to the answer Mm -hmm. on that. And where is the city at on that? Okay, well, it's a legitimate question but number one mm-hmm. if there are rental units in that area that adopts the rue they are grandfathered right and they are grandfathered by property right not just by lease as it is in Bryan. right in our city uh if somebody sells that registered rental unit that some other investor the right goes with them to continue it as a right rent. so that okay. that means we aren't reducing the number of of uh, rental properties and in the analysis originally, if you look at College Station, you will find many neighborhoods. Uh, Southwood Valley is a good example where significantly more than 50% of the properties are already rented, 60, mm. 70, 80. It's clear that they will never adopt a route. Right. So there are tr- tremendous uh, areas in the city where the formerly, uh, well, Rental pro- where formerly single-family homes have been converted into rentals, they're never going to go back. They will always be rentals. They're not. They're not anything to do. Not anything we can do about that if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. What we were doing was offering an option for those neighborhoods that are outside that area right. that would like to have the stability of not being eighty or ninety percent rental. Yeah, they're twenty or thirty percent rental. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's stabilize that neighborhood so that uh, uh, the, the people moving in know what the relationships are. Right. So I think there's plenty of rental op- options. You've got uh, 
a tremendous amount of apartment complexes being built, uh, certainly sixplexes and uh, lots of townhomes in areas like the mm-hmm. barracks and other places that are 99% rental. I mean, people yeah. buy them as investment properties, put their kids in there for three or four years. When they finish A&M, uh, they continue with right. the property manager to uh, to rent that out and earn an income stream. Sure. So talking of affordable housing, um, I was at a meeting this summer where a lady spoke up and said, you know, we need to stop talking about affordable housing in College Station because, quite honestly, the traditional form of affordable housing doesn't exist. And she listed what the average appraisal for a single family mm-hmm. home um, I know that there's some looking at uh, missing middle housing that the city is, is mm-hmm. looking at, trying to find unconventional ways uh, to have, quote, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Is there a place in College Station still where it can be relatively affordable? And do you have any ideas of, of how to? I've got, I've got several ideas, and none of which provide the clear solution right. to the conundrum of high land prices, mm-hmm. which is really what drives. And, and it isn't just the recent three or four years, this is a 10 or 20 mm-hmm. year trend of, sure. of uh, uh, college stations of limited size, 51 square miles, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, some greenfield development areas left in the city, almost no opportunity to annex because of state regulations. Yeah. And therefore, uh, if you want to uh, live inside a college station, the people that own the land realize that the future value of that is, is substantial. Right. And people, even today, the developers cannot buy some of that land mm-hmm. because people are just saying, well, I'm going to wait 10, 15 years and then I'll sell it because it'll be worth right. six times as much. So that's one. That's the underlying mm-hmm. uh, concern. But I think we need to separate the, uh, the federal income level, the 80% of mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, that, and providing housing for that. That is where the CHODOs, the nonprofits, come in, mm-hmm. Habitat being one. Elder Aid being another one that does a, uh, a really good job. Uh, uh, so the city has put funds into, as you know, trying to uh, right. underwrite some of the, using our home funds as mm. federal funds to underwrite the cost of the land so that Habitat doesn't have to bear the burden of land. You bear mm-hmm. the burden of, of gaining the uh, sure. donations to build, build the homes and, and using the labor and all right. that. Uh, College Station is going to have a limited opportunity to fulfill that end of the need. Right. Now, uh, some things we have done. Uh, We have uh, come up with some very limited lot size opportunities through PDDs, Mm -hmm. which gets more houses per acre into an area so that the developers can build it for what used to be 275 now 325 mm-hmm. or whatever I, I don't know exactly some of the prices are going over 300 for those very mm-hmm. small lots and a very uh, much a, 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 a starter home right uh, like I bought on Barrick Lane 45 years mm-hmm. ago a nice three bedroom house right on Barrick Lane and I had maybe a quarter acre lot now you're getting I'm not sure what it is, 40 feet in the front and Mm -hmm. maybe 80 80 feet deep or something like that, less than 5,000 square feet in the lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the city has has offered some options in Mm -hmm. that area and and tried to improve our flexible regulatory flexibility to to bring that in. I think one of the things that people miss is they, they look at the prices of new homes 
And I think if you look around the community, there are a number of houses built in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have already turned to rental. Mm-hmm. But I think there are opportunities to look at 175 to $225,000 homes that are certainly 30 or 40 years old. In College Station? In College Station. Huh. On, on the side streets okay. in some areas where you can get into uh, mm-hmm. a, a property uh, in, say, the South Knoll area. I mean, out a little further away from the campus. You're competing some with the, the, the rental investors, obviously. Right. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for ways to find those properties where the, the demand is not so much for the, those three-bedroom houses anymore yeah. because of all the amenities that are being afforded in the luxury apartments, mm-hmm. which were overbuilt for a while. Sure. And they started competing with $400 a month rent, and you got mm-hmm. the lazy river, and you right. got the theater rooms, and you got the exercise rooms. You're on the bus route. Right. And all of those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, I have uh, advocated and the city has uh, initiated uh, some develop from planning for incentivizing uh, young families to buy into those homes. And uh, what I would like to see is a forgivable grant or loan for about 30 to 40,000 because those folks still want to have a kitchen, a master bathroom, mm-hmm. They want new carpeting. Sure. You can't raise the ceilings. There's still going to be an eight-foot ceiling. Right. Uh, you want to fix up the landscaping and move back into some of those neighborhoods, uh, like in my neighborhood there in the, in the, in the Bee Creek area mm-hmm. and the Southwood area. That uh, and we're inside of 2818, two, two miles or less from campus. Right. Uh, let's see how if we can't incentivize um the repurposing of some of those properties from okay. rental back to but they got they got to have a home, homestead exemption they got to commit to that mm-hmm. and uh and see if we can't incentivize some of that i i've talked about having it in a particular defined area mm-hmm. uh for a demonstration project the city staff doesn't believe that is going to be legally possible okay if we're offering incentives you got to offer it across the city and but but a limited number you know, 10 or 20 of those a year, maybe mm-hmm. find some funds that we can actually commit to that uh, program. Yeah. And, you know, we do have the uh, the down payment uh, programs for yeah. uh, for families that are income qualified as well. Sorry. So those are those are some aspects of it. Yeah. Did we I, run past the I 20 apologize. minutes? <laughs> we did. We can go for a couple more minutes. Um, is there anything else that um, we haven't talked about so far? I know there are a ton of other issues that <clears throat> we might want to hit, but... Uh, what would you well let me let me just say one of the big uh, current uh, public topics is the city's involvement in the redevelopment of the initiating the redevelopment of the, of the post oak mall hmm. and i think you've read about that yes. in the paper and the city has uh, committed to uh, purchasing subject to our last uh, due diligence right the old macy's building uh we've been uh, uh, looking at ways for seven or eight years to do something to help the mall mm-hmm. emerges something different and new that every everybody i've talked to in the city every public meeting we've had on redevelopment they all post put their finger on post oak mall mm-hmm. so the city is making a, a very careful commitment with a strategic plan things we can't discuss mm-hmm. uh and so when a private deal fell through uh we stayed out of it initially but private deal fell through to buy the macy's uh, we decided that uh, we needed to 
take a position on that corner and protect that whole corner there. It's a seven and a half acres. And so we, we paid 7.3 or 4 million for that. And, uh, and we are now controlling the parking area and trying to prevent it from being carved up into pad sites until we bring the private investors and other public entities mm-hmm. together. We're very much interested in the redevelopment of the mall. What do you want to be there? Because I, I was curious no, no, we, about we that. Certainly we certainly want it, we want retail to be there. Right. We want the retailers that are there to be successful. Mm-hmm. We want to add things that will generate traffic. Okay. Uh, some of the pr- original proposals that were going to put a storage buildings in mm-hmm. there, you know, or you, you where you have uh, your, sure. your, your, your all your storage stuff in there. And that would just kill them all. Once mm. you start doing things like that, it doesn't generate any traffic. It blocks it off. We we see uh, uh, possible entertainment venues, possible city recreation opportunities. Okay. But there are other private interests that come in there. It isn't just about us selling it to another big box retailer. That probably is not likely. And everybody suggested, what are you doing buying that? You're going to try to market it to another big box retailer? If one came along, we'd certainly consider it, but that's not, that's a very narrow window mm-hmm. and not likely to happen. So there's other uh, uh, opportunities for the entire mall area. And if we can do something to stimulate it, mm-hmm. that's what our, our belief is. We paid well into the appraised value, which was 6.4 to 11.4 million. Mm-hmm. We paid 7.3 or 4 for it. Mm-hmm. So we're well within that current appraised value level. The original buyers got it at fire sale. When, mm-hmm. when the bankers told Macy's, you know, you got to come up sure. with the money and they have 25 of these things going on all over the country, they just sold them off for whatever they could get initially. Oh, wow. That's why the investors from California got it for $3 million. Got it. And, and we stayed out of it then because we thought those people had a good plan. Mm-hmm. But their deal fell apart and they mm-hmm. put it back on the market. Yeah, they turned a nice profit, but we're still in it at, I think, a value that is okay. well within the appraisal level. And I think we can energize much larger investments in the mall. That, Got it. That won't, we can't, you know, it's not something we can't talk about real estate right. or, or any of the people that are involved in all of that. But we're hoping in a, in a reasonable amount of time, yeah. in six months to two years, you'll see some of that happening. Okay. Well, I wish we had more time, but uh, is there a way that people can get in touch with you or learn more about you um, online or, yeah, or what's yeah, your contact? Yeah, I have a Facebook uh, page, John Nick, page for John Nichols for Mayor. Okay. They can go to that. Uh, I'm certainly on Facebook. Uh, my email address is out there, jpnichols41 okay. at gmail.com. And I'm on uh, Instagram, Instagram as well. Okay, perfect. Well, John Nichols, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Mr. Coates. The Think Brass's podcast is brought to you by Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. Our mission is a community where everyone can afford a home they're proud of. Habitat is a 501c3 charitable organization, so we do not make political endorsements. If you'd like to support our work in the community, you can make a tax-deductible donation online at habitatbcs.org. The Think Brasses podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and on our website at thinkbrasses.org. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd prefer to watch videos of our conversations. Thanks for listening, and just remember, think local, think brasses. Think Brasses.